All right, so I'm going to ask you a question this morning or tell you a little story. Uh, imagine a group of people waiting in a hospital waiting room. Some of you have been there before just waiting and, and you have somebody that's uh, having a procedure or something done. You're in the hospital waiting room and, and you're just waiting. And um, so in the, in the hospital waiting room, a rather self-important uh, individual is getting impatient. You've seen that happen before. And in this particular story, this person just became unwilling to wait any longer. They're in there, and they're waiting, and they're waiting, and they're waiting, and um, finally, um, this guy barged in and demanded to be seen by a doctor in this waiting room, was tired of waiting, I need somebody to see me right now, and the nurse was like, wait a minute, we got some people, and we're, you know, have a line, Uh, we want to keep everybody in orderly fashion, and he looks at her, and he says, don't you know who I am, and she looks at him, and calmly presses the intercom button, and Uh, delivers a message and says, "Uh, excuse me, I have a gentleman here who doesn't know who he is. Can somebody please help him find out who he is so we can get him in line? (laughs) You know, that's the one thing, telling jokes here is uh, not so easy to translate, but I hope you're laughing at home. Um, And if you're that guy, then maybe you'll be uh, remembering that next time. If you go around asking your friends, here's the point, who am I? Who do you say I am? I don't know who I am. What do people say about me? If you went around asking people that, they might take it as uh, some kind of evidence of, of dementia or maybe even pride. Do you know who I am? I think I've told my kids that before. Do you know who I am? I'm your dad. Um, people might take it the wrong way. But here's the point. What people say and what they believe about Jesus Christ determines their destiny. Who we believe Jesus to be, our confession concerning Jesus as the Christ is a matter of life and death. Maybe I would uh, venture to say that is the most important determination that you will ever make. The glory of God was unveiled in Jesus Christ. And so what you believe about who Jesus is And why Jesus came to this earth are are of the utmost importance. And that's a little bit about what we're going to talk about today. Who do we say Jesus is? Uh, We've been talking about glory for the last few weeks. And uh, before that, the Holy Spirit. We've kind of, um, on a journey, if you will, all this year so far, we've been talking about the Holy Spirit and then the glory of God, His manifest presence is is His glory. It's it's the, the Holy Spirit where... Holy Spirit is, and, um, and that glory is manifest. Hopefully by now we're understanding that uh, the number one priority of God is to reveal His glory. The number one most important thing for God is to reveal His glory. He wants to make Himself known to His creation. He wants us to know who He is, and then He wants us to worship Him and to take our place as uh, before him in the role we were created for, and that is to have a relationship with him. I hope as we kind of go through this that you really begin to understand who we are and how we were created and who God is. And, you know, God is not a narcissistic being who's up there who's demanding that we worship him. I mean, because of who God is, as we enter relationship with him, we should find that we just can't help but worship him. 
as we enter His glory and really begin to understand the, the breadth and the depth of who God is, it should cause within us something to well up that responds to His glory in such a way. You know, when we don't do this, when, when we try to rule our own lives for our own glory, that's sin. And because, and this is how much God loves us, because our predisposition for this, because we were born into sin, because of Adam and Eve and, and all of that, which we've talked about before, we, God knows we have a predisposition to sin. And because of that, he sent his son Jesus to die on the cross, his son clothed in humanity to bear the consequence of our sin doesn't really sound like a narcissistic being who's up there demanding that we all worship him, right? It should happen just because we can't help it. And because he knows our predisposition, he said, hey, let me help you out a little bit. Let me send my son Jesus. He's going to, in fact, take on all of the consequence of your sin so that we can re begin to remove that. I'm going to create a way so that we can have a relationship together. Man, that's good. That'll preach. But, but that's not even what we're talking about today. So I'm still, I'm still in the let's get caught up. Last week we talked about Jesus' um, miracle of raising his friend Lazarus from the dead. You guys remember that? In this story recorded in John, we found out that, that Martha didn't believe that Jesus could raise him from the dead. In fact, the way she talked to Jesus, it doesn't say this specifically, it's like she presumes that Jesus doesn't have the authority to raise Lazarus because he had been dead for so long. Because it's more than a simple act of bringing his body back to life. This would have had to be restoring his soul to his body that was raised back to life. At the end of the day, what we took away from the story of this miracle is that there are two types of people. The haves and the have-nots. If we want to see God's glory, we have to be careful to, to not be like Martha. She was a have-not. She was distracted by everything going on. She was distracted by, by the things around her. She didn't really believe that Jesus could do it. We have to be careful not to let our own um, circumstance distract us. Our preconceived notions of who God is get in the way of what He wants to do. We have to have faith and we have to believe that He can do what He says. That's the have-nots. The haves, they display characteristics that Jesus had in the story. Jesus was bold. He realized that we have to understand it's not about us, that we have to believe deeply. It has to become a, a core conviction, the thing that we're talking about that wells up inside of us. All of us have different core convictions, but the one core conviction that we should all share is this idea that we want God's glory that we grasp him so much that we can't help but believe what it is that he wants us to know about him. So as we really dig in today, I'm going to ask you to do something. Can you put aside, and, and we've done this before, put aside your notions of who Jesus is. I, I want to try to imagine yourself as one of the disciples before Jesus had truly revealed his glory, he was just another person to them. He, he was a, a person that they were following. They knew he was smart. They knew he was sent by God. They knew all of these things. But 
really reflect upon the humanity of Jesus so that the revelation of his divinity can grab us like it surely grabbed them. It, it took them by surprise. They were, they were blown away that, that Jesus is God. But he was also human. Can you imagine? Keep in mind this. Jesus was born in a perfectly normal kind of way. Now, it's true that his um, conception was miraculous. But after that, he was born a frail infant, relied upon his parents to raise him. He became a carpenter by trade. He was vulnerable at a small age. He grew up in a village in Galilee, and he worked quietly as a carpenter. Like, to them, Jesus was just, a, he was one sent by God, but they didn't realize that he, the importance or the significance of who he was. So when these things are happening, they're just blown away. I can't believe this Jesus, my friend, can you believe? Oh my goodness. So let's read. Today the scripture is going to be in Luke chapter 9. Luke chapter 9, again, you can, uh, it's going to be on your screen today. You can also uh, follow along with your uh, uh, Bible app or the church's app there. Luke chapter 9, beginning with verse 28. About eight days after Jesus said this, he took Peter, John, and James with him, and he went up onto a mountain to pray. As he was praying, the appearance of his face changed, and his clothes became as bright as a flash of lightning. Two men, Moses and Elijah, appeared in glorious splendor talking with Jesus. They spoke about his departure, which he, which he was about to bring to fulfillment at Jerusalem. Peter and his compa companions were very sleepy, but when they became fully awake, they saw his glory and the two men standing with him. As the men were leaving Jesus, Peter said to him, Master, it is good for us to be here. Let us put up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. He didn't know what he was saying. While he was speaking, a cloud appeared and covered them. And they were afraid as they entered the cloud. A voice came from the cloud saying, This is my son, whom I have chosen. Listen to him. When the voice had spoken, they found that Jesus was alone. The disciples kept this to themselves and did not tell anyone at this time what they had seen. Man, what a crazy story, right? Let's, let's look a little bit, let's set this up though. What's going on right before this? Jesus had asked his disciples who they say he was. You, you guys remember that encounter, this kind of, and that's where we started. He, he asked them, they're all together, he says, hey, who do people say I am? And they go through all the words. They, he's asking them to confess him verbally who do they believe him to be who do you think i am at first they say well people say you're john the baptist or or maybe that's your elijah reborn or or maybe you're jeremiah or one of the prophets he digs in a little deeper and says but who do you say i am who do you think i am and that's when peter makes his famous declaration well he says you are christ the Messiah. And, and I think that the, the reason this is important is this, this is the prelude to what's coming. Jesus needed them to know who he was first to recognize him as the Messiah. 
Not just some guy, not just a buddy of theirs they're hanging out with, not just a guy who uh, God is working through, or even a guy that God has sent, but this is Jesus, who is the Messiah, the Christ, the Son of God. He needed them to know that. So then they go up onto the mountaintop, and, and he takes James and Peter and John to the mountain to pray. Jesus had a priority when it came to prayer. And if you read through Jesus' story, so many times he finds his way to a, a, solid, a solitary place so he can pray. This is where the idea of a mountaintop experience came from. And we, we talk about it. And, and when we go to family camp or to teen camp or to, to kids camp and, and we are around and embedded in this Holy Spirit is just moving and 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 working with us and in us. And we, we have this mountaintop experience, this, this, this place of joy and, and closeness we feel with God. This is where it came from. But I think what we fail to notice sometimes, though, and the reason we don't have more of this is because before we can get to the mountaintop, we have to uh, sacrifice the, or pay the price, excuse me, in prayer first. The price has to be paid in our time spent in prayer. We have to, to spend that time. Listen, nothing is going to happen in our lives as Christians if we don't pray. That closeness to God is not going to happen if we don't pray. That mountaintop experience that we all want to see is not going to happen if we don't pray. The times that we're asking God's glory to fall in this place, in this church, at your home, in your life, with your family and your children, that's not going to happen if we don't pray. Prayer is the key to everything. It's about prayer. We have to pray. If, we're, if we would experience God's presence and His glory, it's only going to happen because we spend time in prayer. That's why our Wednesday night prayer service is so very important. Maybe the most important thing we do as a church because without that, without bathing what goes on here in prayer, nothing special or extraordinary is ever going to happen. Here's the good news. If you're in the valley today, you can get to the mountaintop again, but you will only be able to get there if you begin to seek God's glory in prayer. It will only happen through prayer. And, and so while they're on the mountaintop and, and Jesus is praying and, and they're praying there, while he was praying, the brightness of the light kind of shakes the disciples awake. And, and maybe you've been there before. I, I know that myself, I've done um, been at places where we were called to an all-night time of prayer all night I don't, and I don't know you know I know that it's a great idea to spend all this time in prayer but uh, man sometimes I struggle and, and I think that's kind of where they were I was I have been there and and getting sleepy and drowsy and and you know kind of in and out of of a sleepy state and and that's kind of what's happening to them right now and, and the light came and it shook them awake that they could uh they really, and it says they became fully awake. And as they became fully awake, they became fully aware of what was going on. Can you imagine kind of being in a, a daze and then as you wake up, you begin to see Jesus in this way? And his clothes begin to light up. What was happening to Jesus? Was he becoming somebody else? We just recognized and confessed that he is the Christ, the Messiah, the Son of God. This is who he is. Is he now becoming somebody else? I don't, that's not what the, the way it's written. The Greek word used is metamorpho. 
metamorpho, and, and that's a combination of two Greek words, one to change and the other form. Uh, not to overuse an analogy, but it's like a butterfly. When a butterfly, when a caterpillar becomes a butterfly, the caterpillar doesn't change, doesn't uh, change who he is or, or what it is. It changes form. It becomes something different, not someone different. And that's what's going on with Jesus. He, the, the, the way that they write it, it's not that Jesus was becoming somebody else, but his form changed. Who they saw when they look at him was different. And it doesn't say this, but I suspect that this light, this bright light, was God's glory becoming visible to them. It's interesting, and there's several accounts of this. If we read the other accounts in Luke chapter 9, verse 29, as he was praying, the appearance of his face changed, metamorpho, it changed, and his clothes became as bright as a flash of lightning. And then in Mark chapter 9, there, there he was transfigured before them. His clothes became dazzling white, whiter than anyone in the world could bleach them. And then in Matthew chapter 17, he was transfigured before them and his face shone like the sun and his garments became as white as light. So there's really three descriptions here. His face changed. It shone like the sun. His garments were white as light, exceedingly bright, gleaming. Really sounds like things we've heard other places in Scripture. In Ezekiel chapter 1, High above on the throne was a figure like that of a man. I saw that from what appeared to be his waist up, he looked like glowing metal, as if full of fire, and that from there down he looked like fire and brilliant light surrounded him. I mean, we're going back to Ezekiel for this. It sounds just like what's happening to Jesus, though, doesn't it? All right, and the next one. Daniel chapter 7, as I looked, thrones were set in place and the Ancient of Days took his seat. His clothing was as white as snow. The hair of his head was white like wool. Another brilliant description. All right, let's go. Last one. Revelation chapter 1. And when I turned, I saw among the seven lampstands was someone like a son of man, dressed in a robe, reaching down to his feet, and with a golden sash around his chest. His head and his hair were white like wool, as white as snow, and his eyes were like blazing fire. What does this change mean? We read Moses, and I can't wait. We're going to talk about Moses uh, in two weeks, we're going to talk about Moses because you remember, and this is such a great story, Moses, when he encountered God and he said, God, let me see you. And God says, you can't handle it, but I tell you what, I'll let you see me from behind. And so as Moses sees God from behind, then he comes down and God's glory is still shining on his face, so much so that the Israelites couldn't look at him. It's an exciting story. He had to cover his, his face. But this change, it's not, a, it's not the same thing as what happened to Moses. It wasn't a shiny face. No, the entire being of Jesus glows. His whole being, everything about him, including his clothing. So again, how do we reconcile? This is a, an interesting question. How do we reconcile Jesus who is fully human? Don't forget that. He is fully human. We read last week, he said his, his divinity aside, not considering equality with God something to be grasped. So he set his divinity aside, became fully man, a, a, a full human, 
So how do we reconcile that this human is able to show the glory of God in this way? Well, it's because he's spirit-sourced, the Holy Spirit. And the exciting thing about that is you and I have the same thing in us. We have the, in the, when I say thing, I mean ability. The Holy Spirit, He gives us God's glory. And this is why we pray for God's glory to be revealed through us. And I have another question. Why were Moses and Elijah there? Interesting, right? Why, how would they show? And then it would have been like ripples in time. But listen, this is no sci-fi thing. Moses would have been 1,400 years before. And Elijah would have been about 850 years before now they're standing in present time. And I guess they looked like they had before. I, I don't know. It doesn't explain or describe how they knew they were Moses and Elijah. I mean, it's not like they had Polaroids, right? Or they, they had taken some family pictures of the prophets before. No, that somehow they knew. It doesn't exactly say. I mean, Moses lived to 120, so they would have expected a really old guy, I guess. And maybe that's how they knew. But Elijah was taken up to heaven. You guys remember that? In a chariot of fire. Maybe Jesus filled them in later. I don't know. Or maybe while they were standing there, they heard, overheard some of the conversation. And Jesus addressed them. Either way, we, we know that it was Moses and Elijah. But, but here's the, the essence of that. Moses represents the law, right? Moses is the, the guy of the law. He's the one who brought the law to them and, and held very prominent... Uh, a very prominent position in their history. And then Elijah would have represented the prophets. Again, those who are revealing God to the people. So that together they, they really signify the law of sin. And, and in that way, the unattainable demands of righteousness without the Holy Spirit. Simply, we cannot attain the fullness of righteousness without the Holy Spirit in our lives. We can't do it. Jesus came to fulfill the law in his body. Jesus would have been righteousness personified. And how did that happen? Because he had the Holy Spirit in him. He was spirit source. So here you have it's. A, Man, it's great. Think about this. You have Moses and Elijah, the old law and the prophets, the one who revealed, revealed the word of God, who brought righteousness before, but only that could be followed by following the rules. And then you have Jesus who said, I came to fulfill the law. Hey, listen, we're buddies, man. I, I got Moses. I got Elijah. We're, we're friends. I know these guys. We are actually, uh, what I'm doing here is I'm fulfilling the law. Now I'm fulfilling the law of my body. I have become Righteousness, the only way that happens is by the Holy Spirit within us, which also tells me Jesus as a spirit-sourced human is the same spirit, has the same spirit that you and I have. <laughs> I think of Dr. Manley when he does that, right? I don't know, what else do you say? It's, it's, it's more than I can take. I don't, I don't understand how to get there. The Holy Spirit is who allows us to also have that righteousness within us. It's, an, it's amazing. We, we've been Holy Spirit, right? And now the glory of God revealed through the Spirit in Jesus. He becomes righteousness and God's glory uh, metamorpho changes his appearance. Does the Holy Spirit reside in us 
to such a degree that our appearance changes by God's glory. <laughs> I think we overlook these things sometimes because it's hard. This is hard. This is, this is hard to swallow. We like to say, oh, I'm just human. Oh, man, I'm just a person. Listen, I know I messed up, but I'm just a person. Now, I can't do any better. I'm just, I'm human. I have nothing more in me. I've given all I can give. That's true, but with the Holy Spirit. It's something that I try to teach my kids at home. I, I want to take excuses away. We don't always have to have an excuse for everything. And that we don't have an excuse. We make excuses, but we don't have one. And it's hard to hear that. It's hard for me to hear that. And, and it's hard for me to live that. But by the grace of God, through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ and the glory of God that is imparted to me through the Holy Spirit that Jesus came to unleash on us. You see how it all ties together? I can. I can. And I would encourage you, listen, this whole year, we've got it all. There's a podcast the church has. I don't know if you knew that. The teaching is there. The, the, uh, every week we upload the last message to the website. Go back. Listen to this. Take the scripture, dig into it, study it. This teaching is, this is just good stuff. All right, moving on. So what were the disciples experiencing? What, can you imagine? I just can't. But let's, let's look in their own words. Um, in 2 Peter, 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 16 through 18, and th these will be in your Bible app or the, the church's app. For we did not follow cleverly devised stories when we told you about the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ in power, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. You know, I, as I read that, I think there's a great book, by the way. It's called The Case for Christ. A lot of you have probably read it already, but um, the number of eyewitness accounts of Jesus is more than are used to convict a lot of people in the court of law. And so here we got Peter confessing to be an eyewitness. All right, so uh, we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. He received honor and glory from God the Father when the voice came to him from the majestic glory saying, this is my son whom I love, with him I am well pleased. We ourselves heard this voice that came from heaven when we were with him on the sacred mountain. You got an eyewitness? Majestic glory. And it came from, did you catch that? Oh, we're going to get to this in a minute. But the cloud, it says that Moses and Elijah were gone, right? The cloud of God's glory settled in over them. And, and it says it came from the majestic glory, makes it a noun. The glory of God revealed in the cloud, this mist, this vapor. John reflected on this experience at the beginning of his gospel uh, in, in chapter 1. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. So how do they see this? They were seeing into the spiritual realm. They were able to take a glimpse from the physical the physical, the touch, we can see, we can touch. And then they're looking into the spiritual. 
It's the same idea that the, the, Jew, uh, the Jewish race, the, the um, way that they believed, not the race, but the religion, the way they believed things, they, they saw heaven as not um, somewhere else, but it was stepping through a veil. Remember, we've talked about that. You have, it's like a veil, and, you, and it's a spiritual, from the physical into the spiritual. And for them, when they passed away, when they died, they stepped into the spiritual realm. And, and that's what they're doing here. They understand they're seeing into the spiritual world. I believe the disciples, they were experiencing something that was passing from physical to spiritual. They were seeing realities that men and women simply just don't see. How's that possible? (laughs) I keep asking, and the answer is the same every time, by the power of the Holy Spirit, being filled with God's glory. You might remember Elijah. Here's a great example. Elijah in the Old Testament. uh, He was on a mountain too, and and Elijah was surrounded by an army one day. They were all around him. They were going to attack, and and he had a servant named Gehazi. And Gehazi was scared to death. Elijah, let's get some help. Elijah, we need something. Elijah, they're going to kill us, man. Look at the army out there. And so Elijah kept saying, man, God's got this. Don't you worry about it. God's got it. It's all under control. God's got it. And Gehazi, he didn't believe him. So finally, Elijah said, God, would you please open his eyes so that he can see into the spiritual realm? This is my words, not his. Gehazi, God opened his eyes and he could see a vast angelic army surrounding them, protecting them from the army that was below. You see, we don't always see into the spiritual realm. Sometimes, like Gehazi, our eyes need open to be able to see what God's doing around us. To see the glory of God. Listen, when we see the glory of God, it's with our eyes opened to the spiritual. And you're not going to just wake up tomorrow and be able to see into the spiritual. Remember where we started? It only comes about by this time of prayer that we were talking about. You have to be willing to spend the time in prayer. Connect with God in such a way that your spiritual eyes will be open and you can see. I'll bet you there's times that you've been in the very glory of God, in His presence, manifest around you and maybe didn't even realize it. Have you ever been in the middle of an answered prayer? Everything just kind of begins to magically come together and things are being answered and you're like, oh my goodness, I didn't know that could happen like that you suddenly know that God's there, right? It's happened to you. It's happened to me. Have you ever witnessed someone making a decision to follow Christ and wondered why your emotions just cut loose? The miracle of somebody receiving Jesus and trusting in Him. And you get so emotional about it. The glory of God. Or have you ever been in a worship service and you're so in awe of God's presence that you almost can't even stand up? the glory of God so when I say and we talk, we've talked about this the last few weeks God I'm, I'm standing in this circle I'm drawing a circle around this place and I am going to stand here on your promise that you will send your spirit in this place your glory to fall in such a mighty way if you've ever experienced and witnessed God's glory remember His glory is the visible majesty 
of his divine presence. The visible majesty of his divine presence. The majesty of God's presence becomes visible. It becomes reachable. It becomes um, something that can be touched, something that can be felt, something that can be seen in some way. The visible representation, majesty of the divine presence of God. That's what I want. How do these experiences make you feel? They leave you wanting more. They leave you desperate for God's glory. So how do we respond when we see God's glory? And and we're getting close to the end. We're going to wrap up in just a few minutes. Luke says that Peter didn't know what he was saying. You saw the little parentheses. Luke was like, Peter, he's so dumb. He didn't know what he was saying. He was kind of mumbling and, and, and groggy. He was experiencing something that he didn't know how to verbalize. He saw this, the, this, uh, the, the majesty of God, the divine presence in a physical way. Moses and Elijah, and he woke up and, and the mist began to descend of God's glory and his presence. And Peter was so overwhelmed, he wanted to do something. From the cloud, God's voice came and said, this is my beloved son, listen. The word listen there, hear, obey, listen intently. Listen to him. Their response, how'd they respond? Matthew says they fell on the ground terrified. (laughs) What would you do? They now know they are in God's presence. When exposed to God's glory the first thing they did was worship him. They get in God's glory and what they do? They just worship. That was it. They just worship. And I'm looking for the time when in this church, in this building, as we gather back together, God's glory is going to fall and we can do nothing but worship him. That's it. Just worship him. Can we experience his glory in that way? They know they've just witnessed his glory. Here's the cool part. Jesus is left alone. Moses is gone. Elijah's gone. Now it's just Jesus. Not Jesus plus something, just Jesus. That's what God calls you and I to, just Jesus. Don't add anything to him. Receive him and he will change your life. You see where we're going with this is that I hope you're beginning to see the circle. So God gave Moses the law and he had prophets talking to the people through God. And the righteousness of the law was so much that no person, if you read Galatians, can do it. You just can't. So he said, okay, I get it. There's a lot to it. Let me send my spirit, the Holy Spirit, who came to fulfill uh, with Jesus to fulfill the law. Not that Moses and Elijah are unnecessary, but they've been fulfilled. Now, they're now ir- irrelevant, really. It's only Jesus. But how Jesus? The Holy Spirit through Jesus. And Jesus says, the, now get this, the glory that I have, remember we talked about this last week, the glory that I have, I'm giving to you. God gave me his glory. Now I'm giving you my glory that God gave me. So I'm giving you God's glory. All of that is imparted to us by the Holy Spirit, who imparted it to Jesus, who imparted it to us. It changes everything. So now, 
Jesus becomes that much more important, or should. Not only does he forgive us for our sins, but as we begin to follow Jesus, as we begin to understand and receive and accept the glory that he has given us through the impartation of the Holy Spirit, now we have the ability to live a life of righteousness. We've, it becomes about Jesus. Just Jesus. What else? Nothing. What do I need to do, Cal? Just trust Jesus. How do I get there? Trust Jesus. How important is Jesus? Oh, he's Jesus. <laughs> he's the most. His glory passed on to Jesus and from Jesus to his disciples and to us. We receive Jesus into our hearts and he's the gateway for us to receive God's glory. I think for a lot of us, Man, I'm gonna, you, you guys, if y'all will, go ahead and come up. We're, the band, we're going to have a song, and, and I want to have a, a closing time of prayer. If we were in the church building all together today, I would tell you all, please come and pray at the altar. This is so important. So I'm going to ask you where you're at tonight, today, this morning. Make a, a, an altar where you're at. In fact, if you can kneel and pray, kneel and pray. This is, this is so important. If Jesus... Is this important? It, it's more than just receiving him and the forgiveness he provides us for our sins. That's, that's awesome, and that's the start, that's the beginning, but it's the next step. How are we going to see his glory? By receiving the spirit that he is trying to impart to us, the glory that he is trying to give to us. We've got to take that next step. We've got to say, Jesus, not only have you forgiven me for my sins and stand in the way so that when God looks at me now, he doesn't see the sin. Now, whenever I see Jesus, when I receive him, I'm going to take the next step. Holy Spirit, that, that you come from God, imparted to us by Jesus, the glory. God has given us the Spirit so that we might see His glory. Essentially, that's where we're going with this. Imparted to us through Jesus. So this, this morning, I just wonder, can you trust Jesus? Will you trust Him today and move beyond the first step, the shallow uh, the cursory step, the one that says, okay, I trust you, Jesus, to this point. Can you move to the next step and say, okay, Jesus, not only am I going to trust you, am I going to receive you into my life, now I'm going to let you have control. Will you take all of me? You know, this morning, and we're going to end with this, I love this, it is so sweet to trust in Jesus. Can you trust him to take control? Can you trust him with every area of your life? Can you trust him with all of the little things? Can you trust him with the big things? Can you trust him when times are trouble? And can you trust him when times are good? This morning, will you trust Jesus? That's our prayer. Jesus, I want to trust you with everything. I want to give you control. I want to give you all of myself. I, I thank you, Jesus, you have forgiven me for my sins and forgive me for stopping there. I want to give you everything. 
I want to give you control of my life. I want to follow you wherever you would have me go. I don't want to be scared anymore, Jesus. I want to trust fully in you.